Amen. Certainly keep the Zambia team in our prayers and are looking forward to having them back to hear all sorts of testimony how God has worked across cultures. And we are. We're grateful for your generosity towards missions as it allows us the opportunities to to go and to, uh, to share the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And we want to invite you to be a part of that, whether that be through giving, praying, or going. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, as we begin a new sermon series called Test Drive. A couple of weeks ago, I, I spoke uh, over the phone with a faithful member of our church. And we spoke for a while and During this conversation, she shared with me about a recent act of Christian service that she'd completed, but one that she'd never participated in before. And in a specific way, without giving all the details up, in a specific way, she had helped someone, and she told them before they left and after she helped, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will help you. Very simple witness, a very powerful testimony. And again, she reiterated to me over the phone, I've just never taken part in that kind of ministry before. And she humbly acknowledged that, in fact, God is still working on her. Church, I want to tell you, the lady that testified that day over the phone is nearly 80 years old. Man, let that preach to you just for a second. That God is still in development in her life, still working on her life. And I thank God, and I told her, I thank God for your example to me and the illustration that delivers this point. When it comes to obedience to our King and Savior Jesus, give faithfulness an extra mile. Give it an extra mile. Lord, we ask today, God, that your word would speak plain to our hearts and your spirit would make it plain and true. God, whatever it is that we need to do, Whatever it is that we need to be, Lord, as your church, if we need to give an extra step of faithfulness towards something that you've been drawing us for a long time towards, oh Lord, maybe you're just putting it on our heart today. May we be faithful to be a church that represents what you value. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And as we teach over it today, God, may we understand what it means. And Lord, if we need it, that we would receive it. And God, as we grow in it, that we would live to a holy standard and share it with others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few months ago, our discipleship pastor, Josh Shirley, who you've seen in the baptistry, well, you, uh, he is leading our baptism ministry. You saw him in the Ecuador uh, video, and you've seen him on videos in the past. Our discipleship pastor, Josh, had mentioned to us, can, can August be a month where our people are encouraged to, to test drive all the things that we have here as a resource for their spiritual formation, to which the reply in our lead staff meeting, by all accounts, was absolutely great idea. People are coming off of vacation and coming back to church, and they're ready to get the year rolling again. And a test drive that many of you have been a part of or been on is an opportunity for the consumer to move one step closer to what they want or one step closer to what they know that they need. And many of you here have taken a test drive, a a needed and somewhat nervous drive to see if this is how you want to travel all the time, knowing that something more, something new, something better, something upgraded would be to your benefit. Our life as a follower of Jesus often puts us in that position to where how we are moving is moving, but God's Spirit is prompting us to recognize our need or our desire for another step towards where we know we need to be. And this is the time. 
This is the time on Sunday morning as you are before the Word of God and a church that is prayed and a preacher that's prepared and a church that is ready for you to take that next step for where you know you need to be spiritually and God's been trying to get you there for a long time. In our local church at Lindsay Lane, we gather a group and we move together for the glory of God and the good of man. And you hear that often, and that is what we value according to what God values. Our gatherings, the gathering that you are in right now, it provides the opportunity not just to say that you've been to church on Sunday morning, but it provides the opportunity for you to worship together as the church of Jesus Christ. The gathering allows us to respond to what God's Spirit is doing in our life. The gathering allows us to fellowship before and after and to see your brothers and sisters in Christ. The gathering allows you to respond by giving, to to be generous towards the causes of God. And yes, I mentioned giving because it's in the Bible and we believe in it. And if you are here today for the first time, or if you're here all the time and you say to yourself, there they go talking about giving again, all they want to do is ask for our money. If that's your attitude, please put your money back in your wallet because we want the offering to be blessed in this place. Amen? Amen? Giving is in the Scripture. Generosity is in the Scripture. If God is leading you to it, oftentimes the thing that you are fighting hardest against, you don't know anything about. Our gatherings provide the opportunity to serve the body of Christ. Even right now, as we're in here looking at each other, there are people serving in the children's ministry. Many of you serve in the ministries that a lot of times when the gathering is together, you're behind the scenes working. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of that. In the baptistry, just a few minutes ago, as we are getting ready to baptize two small children and a special day for them, as many times as the AV media crew, when something goes wrong, everything most of the time goes right, but when something goes wrong, everybody knows it, Right? As I'm standing there, Randy Brown, who is, who is one of our pastors, at least that pastor's associate on staff, comes up running to me and he goes, hey, the guys let me know that your mic is not on. So our servants from the booth sent another leader up there and said, your mic's not on, turn it on. I get down, we start going, and nobody knows anything about it because people are serving. It's a small example of that, but people are opening the doors. People have prepared to teach. You've got group leaders that have spent time in the Word. You may have been a Christian for a long time, and you've been soaking it up for a long time, and God's now ready for you to pour out. Are you ready to go? Are you equipped? Because a lot of times when we gather together, that is the opportunity for you not to just go here, but to belong here and contribute here. Because the next step question on the gathering is this. is not just do you attend here, but is this where you worship and where you serve? Our groups, our groups provide the opportunity for Small group discipleship. The call in the scripture is for Christians to go and make disciples. And the avenue of discipleship that we have here at Lindsay Lane is in our groups. And many of you are plugged in to a group. But many of you, it's time to get plugged in. And for others, it's time for you to get back to one. Why? For this is where discipleship happens at the local church level. This is where also you build community, where you get to know people. And some of you may think, well, I got plenty of friends. Well, do they? Because maybe they're not from here, and maybe they need to know people here. Maybe you are the connection to get them to stay here, and it happens there in the groups. It's also the place where ministry happens in the body of Christ. I had someone who had a death in the family this week. Before I got there, members of the group had already been there. That's how we minister to you here at Lindy Lane. It happens in the groups, and if you think to yourself... Well, I know that you read the Bible in the groups, and you may think to yourself, I already read my Bible, but a next step, extra mile kind of question to consider is this. Do you know what you believe, and do you own it? And are you helping others in the local church to help them own their faith? Are you helping the folks that help you? 
folks that are keeping your kids, folks that are preaching your group messages, folks that are opening the door for you. Are you helping the body of Christ? And the way to do that through the front door is to get into a group and begin to get to know folks and minister to them. And then our church not only gathers in groups, but our church also moves. You've just seen an example here on video of a group that's been to Ecuador, a group that's going to Zambia. But y'all, we go down the road. Somebody say amen. I mean, we're, we're going to go across cultures as the Scripture teaches and the Spirit of God leads us, but we're also going to go to our neighbors and invite them to church. And this is the movement of the local church. We have individual ministries that minister out and in. They serve as on-ramps into the church. It opens up doors for the church to make a difference for the glory of God and the good of man here, there, and everywhere. And, and do you want others to know the Lord like you? And I, and I hope that we all do. I hope that we're not so selfish in our salvation that we sure are glad that God saved us, but you're going to have to figure it out by yourself. And I would imagine that nobody here has that attitude. So if we care about others and their eternal destination, and not just their eternity, but the life that they live right now, if we are a church that, they, that we actually care about those things for others, a next step, extra mile question is this. Are you willing to go and are you willing to grow and learn together with the church as we regularly invest in people and invite people to the good news that God saves? That you don't have to try to work it out unto God, but that God has done the work for you. And a lot of folks don't even know that message. Our Give to Go missions offering has been mentioned by John already. It's coming up the first Sunday in October. Last year's response to the Give to Go missions offering was, was overwhelming. We faithfully, truly, we faithfully gave to that missions offering. We're able to support all of our missionary partners. We're able to send people on trips. We're able to do over and above what was even planned for the year because you were faithful to give. There were needs that were met. There were people that were reached because of the generosity of the local church. Man, that's good stuff. And I'm glad to be a part of a church that is that obedient. Adults, you have got to answer these questions for yourself. You've got to answer these questions for your family. Do we want our children to be right with God? Do we want our children to go to heaven? And the church said, amen. But let me ask you a next step, extra mile question. Do you want them to know and own their faith or just be forgiven and coast until heaven? Do you want them to be discipled? Man, I was so encouraged this morning. I walk into the student ministry. We have two brand new leaders in there, and there's a room full of high school, middle school students ready to receive the Word of God. Let them be a part of that. Bring them and get them in front of the Word of God. And the reason I say that to you, I, as the pastor of your church, I am not a measuring stick to your faith. That's only Jesus and Jesus alone. But I can tell you, as the called lead pastor of your church, I received a foundation of my faith in children's ministry. I was discipled in the Word of God in student ministry, and God called me to ministry in college ministry. We were before the Word of God since God saved me, and God did a work in my life. And I don't want to just coast into heaven. I want to know what I believe and take somebody with me. Come on. And so this is what is offered at the local church level. We want you to be encouraged. We want you to be even challenged to test drive what is available to you and to give faithfulness an extra mile. And now is the time. Now we have finally arrived at the text. Amen. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Verses 10 through 13, the Bible says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. 
Key words there are gracious salvation. Verse 11, they wondered, the prophets wondered what time or situation that the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. Verse 12, they were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. This is speaking to the church and the church age, which we are still in. And now the good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And it is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So prepare your minds. And y'all hear that? The Bible says that even the angels are watching people be saved by the grace of God, just like he had planned for a long time. Salvation is a big deal, don't you forget it. So big that the prophets of old prophesied about it even without knowing the full extent of it. And the angels have the attention from heaven of people being saved. In verse 13 it says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation. There it is again. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. As it is written in the New Living Translation, gracious salvation is the thought. For the original word in Scripture, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. This word in 1 Peter is found thought for thought 10 different times in 1 Peter, and it means this, the gift of grace, gracious salvation, grace, interpreted the gift of grace. If you are in this sanctuary today, it's likely because of one of two things. One, you have known and understood the amazing grace of God, and you have received it, or two, you need to. Amen? Because God has a wonderful gift of his grace extended to those who would believe. And part of the theme of 1 Peter is blessing inherited by accepting the gospel. The blessings that come with accepting the good news that God saves through Jesus. And as it relates to this series, we could say that 1 Peter lays out the desired features of our new means of movement. As you take a test drive and they are telling you beforehand or during all about the wonderful things that comes with this vehicle, those are the things that you consider unto taking it into your garage and onto the road for your means of movement. And what I tell you today from the scripture is that Peter is going to spend some time here in the first talking about salvation because there is no greater desired featured outcome for your movement other than your salvation. That you, broken, flawed, and messed up with all kinds of things that we got going on in our life, can be forgiven and made pure and holy and fit for heaven by God Almighty. There's no greater desired feature than that. And what is that? It is the gift of grace. And this is the foundation today. And the gift of grace may be something that you're thinking, we've heard about this all of our life. That's great. So you should be able to tell somebody about it. And you should be able to teach people about it. So when we cover things on Sunday mornings that you've always heard, let it be a point of discipleship for your own life so that you'll be able to teach those that you influence. This is a gift of grace foundation message. And the longer that God lets me serve, here's what I find out when we preach often about grace. This is what I find out in conversations with people. The more I am in one-on-one -on -one gospel conversations with people, as God gives me the opportunity to witness or to share or even to see where people are at, the more that I learn that people do not understand what it truly means to be right with God. I've asked a long-time believer some time ago the question that I've asked to many people, if you died tonight and stood, and stood before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? 
Now, as you all think about that for right now, from teenagers to senior adults, children, if you, if you died tonight, stood before God, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven, what would your answer be? For a person that I know that's gone to <clears throat> church all of their life, I asked that question, and the response was, I believe I did the best that I could do. Listen, I'm not downing that person because that person was there desiring to be right with God. What I want to get across to you is this. If that is your response in your heart as we ask that question and solicit an answer, I'm asking you today to please dedicate the next 20 to 30 minutes to listen to the Word of God. Please, please, please. Amen? In fact, we can't pray enough, and Lord, we ask you right now to make this plain. Father, in each and every individual life, including my own, that I would not suppress the truth just so I don't have to deal with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to ask and answer three questions. Number one, what is grace? Number two, how do you get it? And number three, what does grace teach us? What is grace? How do we get it? And what does it teach us? What is grace? Grace is, I'm glad to tell you, the unmerited favor of God. The unmerited favor of God. Write that down. And just because we are created by God and we want to go to heaven doesn't mean that we are fit for heaven. It doesn't mean that we are right with God. Why is that? If we want to go to heaven, why shouldn't we be able to go? Because of sin. Sin makes it to where we are separate from God and separate from our right relationship or right standing with God. Each and every person in here, each and every person out there has sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of sin is death. Sin separates us. And who has sin? From the pastor to the prisoner. We all got it. Everybody has sinned. And so just because we want to be right with God and want to go to heaven, which is great, it does not mean that we automatically do just because we want it. And the people of Israel waited for God to solve their problem of sin and to keep them from being separate from fellowship with Almighty God. And verse 10 tells us, as we just read, that Old Testament prophets that God was filling with his spirit to be his messengers to his people and to the world. Old Testament prophets, when they prophesied about this gracious salvation, it was prepared for you. Those that are hearing the full gospel, the good news that God has delivered of himself through his son Jesus Christ. And verse 10 tells us that the Old Testament prophets were looking forward. Again, I say this, their faith in Jesus was looking forward to rescue them to be the salvation of the people of God. But they did not understand fully how God was going to win for them. God revealed to them that there would be a future deliverer that would come. If you read the prophets, they talk forward about Jesus coming and, and setting things right. And he would be coming in all of his glory. But their prophecies, their messages of a righteous servant, a suffering servant, a selfless servant who would make others righteous their messages to the world and to the people were not fully understood because they were meant for specific ministry in a different generation, a generation that you are still a part of. Our church today is not waiting on the gift of God's grace. Stop waiting on God to do something other than what he's already done through the gift of Jesus. Stop waiting on God to shake something up or turn something over. Your faith and righteousness in God cannot begin with you wanting God to do something different than what he's already done. 
No, the full revealing of God's grace is in his son. The gift of God's grace is in Jesus. How do we know? Well, verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us, the prophets wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ or the Messiah within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ or the Messiah, the coming chosen one, about Jesus' suffering and his glory, great glory afterward. Here's what this means if you are taking notes to understand the gift of grace. Jesus himself is the avenue of God's unmerited favor for you. Jesus himself. Isaiah, one of those Old Testament prophets that 1 Peter is talking about. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it is all about the Jesus that you already know or that you need to know. And 53, verse 6 says, all of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have God's past. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. On him means that is the gift of grace, the object of our faith. And the object of grace is Jesus. It's the him in Scripture. In the New Testament, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says of Jesus, so the word, meaning the full revelation of God, became human. That's him. It is Jesus and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Now, do y'all know what that word for unfailing love, for the thought of unfailing love is in the Scripture in John chapter 1? Charis, grace. It's a gift of grace. Read it that way. So the word, the revelation of God became human and made his home among us and he was full of grace and faithfulness. So the gift of God and the gift of grace that he has prepared for you, listen to this, is wrapped up in the person and the divinity of Jesus. God, show me grace. Oh, he already has through Jesus. Just receive it and believe it. That's the truth of the scripture that we'll continue to cover. This is why grace, though, is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor because God's favor or right standing with God was divinely planned not to be in your works. God's grace was divinely planned not to be earned by you or tried to earn by us. God's grace was divinely planned to be wrapped up in Jesus because we could never earn the favor of a holy, completely pure and righteous God. We are flawed. We are broken. We are in need for God for something that we cannot do in ourselves. So God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and he gave us the inexhaustible supply of goodness by giving of himself through his son Jesus. And in all the power of God, now don't, listen, listen, listen. In all the power of God, the sinless, spotless lamb of God did the work of salvation for you. So don't be telling people that you are trying your best or that you've been as good as you've done. And I've heard multiple people tell me this over the years that I think I've done, I think my good outweighs my bad. Don't be telling people that because you are taking merit that only belongs to Jesus. You're trying to take it from him. It only belongs to him. We worship Jesus because he dealt with the one thing which kept God from extending grace to us, which is our sin. And this should not get old to any of us. To hear the old, old story that's still a good, good story. Because it's God's gift of grace that we are able to sit here and not worry ourselves to death that if we died this moment, we would be separate from him from all eternity. It's only by his grace that we are saved. And Jesus is that ultimate gift of grace. So listen, 
when we study the prophecy and the person and the divinity of Jesus, we grow in that grace. And we go, grow in the gift of grace as it relates to receiving it for ourselves and extending it to others. Some of y'all need to start showing more grace to people. You expecting the world from them, you give them no grace, and then you ask God for it when you mess up. Now listen, that means we've received God's grace, but we haven't grown in it one inch. When we would ask for it, but not give it to another. How do you get it is the next question. We know grace is the unmerited favor of God. How do you get grace? Well, listen carefully. You don't get grace. You receive it. You don't get it. You receive it. Well, isn't that the same thing? We often think that the promises of God or the desired outcomes of God's character in our lives comes when we put the work in for them. Like we've earned it or we've paid for it. Well, when you think that you are earning salvation or earning the characteristics of God, that leads to two false beliefs. One of those false beliefs is this. We've done the work to be good enough so God will be pleased with us. That is not true according to Scripture. You are not right with God because you put the time in. You are not right with God because you gave up to a certain amount. You are not right with God because you got a Sunday school award when you were 12. You're not right with God because you got a great uncle that used to preach in three different churches across the country. You're not right with God because of those things. You are not right with God because of the actions, if you believe those actions are to make you right with God. Now, it also leads to a second belief, which is this, and it's also not true. The first one is we've been good enough so God will be pleased with us. The second false belief is we can never be good enough so God will never be pleased with us. Here's what I mean. We could never be good enough for God to save us. We're already out. I never would tell you that I'm good enough to be right with God because I know I'm not. I don't even know if God will save me. That's also as false as the first one. There are people that are not coming to church today. And hopefully God is, is, is using the resource of online for some of those folks that won't even darken the door, not because they're so wayward, it's because that they know that they are. And they're afraid of how we would receive them. And Satan has got them locked down and deceived to the point where they think, I know what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about the gift of grace, but I'm so messed up. There's no way that I could ever receive it. That's also a lie from the devil. That's wrong. You may feel that way, but that's not what this says. Read the scriptures. If you want to feel better about your faith, read about the folks in the Old Testament. It'll make you feel a lot better. We just told you God's grace is unmerited. Amen? Unmerited. It's not based on you. Your forgiveness, your right standing with God, it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. It's wrapped up in him. So you don't get it, but you do get to receive it. God's grace is given. Read with me verse 13 again. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Listen to this next part. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Put all of your hope in the gift of grace that will come to you to the perfection state when Jesus returns. This says all of your hope, not half works and half Jesus. All of it. All of your hope to stand right with God is wrapped up in Jesus. That is the object of our faith. 
All of our hope. The gift of God's grace is available because God loves us. Not that we love God, but that God loved us is what 1 John says. He loved us. Why? Not because we deserve it. God loves you because God is love, not because you love him back. It's because that's a characteristic out of the base characteristic of his holiness. He loves you because he is love. Now, while grace is a gift, grace has to be received. And what does that look like? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's on the screen. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Listen to that. If you are in here today and you are thinking to yourself, I want to know that I'm right with God, how do I know? God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. How do you receive God's grace unto salvation? Let me tell you this. You believe. You believe. Okay, well, great. Done. Easy. Got it. Now, you should know that biblically, believing is simple. So simple that children can understand about repentance and faith. It's very simple to understand the concept of belief. But salvation, while it is very simple, it is very serious. How serious? So serious that God gave of himself and sent his one and only son to die for all of our sin in here. That's how serious it is. So when we ask the question of how do you receive God's grace unto salvation, then the answer is you believe. You believe upon Jesus and you turn from your sin. It is as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It is as serious as repentance. What is repentance? That's a $5 word in the Bible that means this. You turn from yourself and you turn to God. You turn from your sin and turn to God. Is that not a work unto salvation? No, because that doesn't come from you. The desire to turn from your sin is generated by the Holy Spirit. God is working on the inside of you, telling you and pushing at you to turn, but he ain't going to make you because we have the responsibility to turn. The Bible teaches that genuine faith is a decision with devotion. Hear that and write it down. Genuine faith is a decision with devotion. Let me explain why I'm being specific about this. The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 4, that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. That being friends with the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, even as I read that, I want you to hear me today because nobody in here, we read that and say, I know what it says, but I'm not a friend with the world. Again, I asked you the same question I asked you last week. Then why in the world did God put it in here if nobody is? Nobody deals with that. I guess we can just rip that part right out, right? But the Word of God says that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Now, here's what that means for the person that wants to be a believer. You can't communicate a prayer for God's grace and then dedicate a life to the world's leading. That is not biblical salvation. That's spiritual adultery. That's what that is. And it doesn't meet the terms of God. Grace unto salvation is faith in Jesus and repentance of sin. It is a devoted decision unto salvation. Does that mean you'll never sin again? No, likely not. But it does mean that God has given you freedom from the penalty and the power of sin in your life. Because when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, not only do you get forgiveness, but the Spirit of God comes into your life and begins to work you away from the sin that used to drag you down. That is the power of God in your life. No longer are you free to do whatever you want to do because you don't belong to yourself. 
Last year at Christmas, it was a, uh, I've got one of those high-budget props again. Last year at uh, Christmas, thank you, sir, we had a, uh, a gathering of sorts from some folks that came over to our house, and we played one of those games, right, that many of you are familiar with, and you bring a gift, and you open it up, and it's, it's terrible, right? That's the kind of games that are played oftentimes. Well, one of my buddies brought this lovely little number. Now, some of y'all may be thinking that's beautiful, and if it is, make me an offer, all right? <laughs> but one of, my, one of my friends brought this little number over, and he, he brought it hoping that someone else would take it home, right? Well, the game didn't work out in his favor. And in fact, this is his gift. The one that he brought hoping to pawn off on somebody. And y'all, as serious as, as I can be, if you have this in your home and you treasure it, Lord, I apologize. I would never offend you <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> it's not for me, per se. Could be for you. And you do you, boo. All right. This... <laughs> The game turned on him, and he actually ended up with his own gift. Then why do I have it, do you ask? Because he conveniently left it behind <laughs> that night as, as he left, along with other gifts from our friends that they didn't want either. They just left them all at our house. So I want to ask you, as, as this is before, and I'm going to take it down in just a second because it's going to distract y'all. Some of y'all are going to hate it and some of you are going to love it, so it's not going to be good for the rest of the message. But I'm going to ask you this. If he said that he received this gift, did he really? Because it's not with him. It's nowhere near where he lives. So how did he receive the gift that he doesn't have? See, sometimes just because we say we have it, it may be that we want it, but we receive it on our terms. Salvation is not on your terms. Real salvation, biblical salvation, lordship salvation, a decision with devotion is that desire to turn from sin, turn to God and experience forgiveness by turning to Jesus, the gift of God's grace. That is how you receive real salvation. And God, when you become a child of God, will not let you go home without that gift. It will be with you always. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. He gives grace generously. And as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It would be a very prideful thing to say that you've received a gift but it don't go with you. Never even near you. It would be a very prideful thing to say that this is what matters most in our life, but it can never be found in our life. That's a very proud thing. And the Bible says that God actively sets himself against attitudes like that, meaning he's going to bring that attitude down. But for the humble, God gives charis. He gives the gift of grace. He gives gracious salvation when we humble ourselves before the Lord. Now listen, at the end of this service today, when we give time to respond, and we're not going anywhere because we're not done. When we give time to respond at the end of the service today, if you've been counting on your good works 
or if you've been counting yourself out because of your bad ones, know today that the gift of God's grace is available to you on his terms, a decision with devotion to turn from sin and to know that you can be forgiven of it and stand right with God forever through Jesus. When we get to the end today, I would encourage you, even now or even then, as soon as we get up here to sing a song that, that is going to minister to your heart, because when God gives you grace, he's not going to fail on it ever. So as soon as we stand up in just a moment to sing, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you, if this has made sense in your heart and mind, to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes, and while others are singing and praying, why don't you, for the first time or the first real time, call upon the name of the Lord to save you, and make a commitment to Christ, decision with devotion, if God's Spirit is leading you to do so. Now, if you are a Christian in this place, there's two things and then we're done and we can go eat. Two things. Because we ask the question, what is grace? How do we get it? It's the gift of unmerited favor through Jesus. It is the gift that we receive by faith. We don't just get it, we receive it by faith and repentance. And what does it teach us? Each of the divine features that we are going to look at this month are refreshing promises of God that are connected to one two-letter word, so, or for this reason, which means we have the gift of grace, so we will have a responsibility. Look there again in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as the scriptures say, just as God who chose you is holy, for the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. The godly gift of grace carries with it a responsibility. And that responsibility or what it teaches us is this. We have a new satisfaction and a new standard. New satisfaction, new standard. When we believe, we become children of God and we inherit the nature of our new heavenly father. Spiritually, we inherit his holiness as we belong now to a new heavenly father. Practically, this means that not even our desires from this point forward belong to ourselves. Not even the things you want to do if you are a follower of Jesus Christ are permissible because you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God and you take on his characteristics. And thankfully so because that's what led us downward anyway. Amen? Now, knowing the pull of our remaining sin nature, we wait for the perfection of salvation in eternity. And how we wait is found in verse 14. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Let me say that one more time. Don't slip back. This is the thought for not fashioning yourself to the former lust. Don't slip backwards to where you had called on God to save you from. Now, I feel somewhat bad about this, but I'm one of those folks that thinks it's funny every time somebody falls down. That's terrible, I know. But America's Funniest Home Videos, all the animal stuff never makes me laugh. You know, whipped cream in people's faces, eh. But if somebody falls down, I'm going to laugh every time. And I think the Lord humbles me in that because there's a couple of videos out there of me falling down that many of you have seen, and I'm not going to show this morning. But many have seen, but Daniel's back there now, and it makes me afraid that he may do that. 
Many of you have seen those, but, but again, I think the Lord allows me to experience those things so I'll know what people are going through. But here's what I've learned about people slipping and falling. Most of the time when people slip down, it's because they're not paying attention. They're not paying attention. Not focused on anything than what's before them. Let's show this video real quick on the screen. That's terrible of y'all to laugh at him like that. <laughs> terrible. Now, it was real quick. I only wanted to show you that just five seconds. If you watch it back two or three times, which I did for research purposes only and not humor. <laughs> if you watch that back two or three times, you will notice he's carrying a trash bag. He's on the phone. And before him is snow and ice everywhere. He's up like this. He's got a bag in his hand. First step goes down. What happened? How did he slip? He wasn't paying attention. We could show you like hours of these. They're great. <laughs> great sermon illustrations. But, but listen, God has given us a new desire for what fulfills our lives as his children. But because we are his children and not, our, and not his robots, and because we don't belong to the world but we live in it, we are often tempted to slip back towards the things that brought us down. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Somebody, if we call for an amen to say, how, how many of you were tempted to slip back this week? I'm not going to do it, but everybody could say amen to that. We know that's the life that we live in. And this is why 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says to us, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The reason we often slip back in finding ourselves calling on the Lord once again for forgiveness instead of praying for those who are dealing with temptation is because we are not spiritually alert. All we are invested in, all that's wrapped up in our mind is what's going on in the world for us that day. And before you know it, we didn't want to, and now we've hit ice again, and we're down. Well, let me pair that with this. It's August, and a lot of folks are coming back, and glory to God for that, and I hope you stay. If you slip down, don't believe the lie that you shouldn't try to get back up. If you slip down, don't believe the lie that no one could help you or understand how you got down to where you are. We're all the same. We're all the same. I've had people in my life before that have been so encouraging and wrapped their arms around me and loved me when I was down. I've had people in my life before that jacked me up and said, what in the world's your problem, dude? And you need both of those. And I get to be some of that for sometimes for other people as well. We need that, and that's why we're in the church. We're not a bunch of perfect people coming to worship. We're a bunch of broken people with the gift of God's grace. Somebody, come on. And so that's why you need to come back when you've been down, because you're not fooling anybody anyways. A new standard. Not just a new satisfaction, but a new standard. This is our last point. We're gone. You must be holy because I am holy. Before we understood the grace of God, we thought we had to be good enough to get saved. The good enough don't even get started until you get saved. We thought we were good enough to get right with God. Now we understand that we can't be good enough to get right with God because it's the gift of God's grace. It's the unmerited favor that we find in Jesus. Once we become children of God, our standard of good is actually not good enough. His word says, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. 
Listen to this statement by a well-known pastor. He said, the holiness of God demands that the holiness be the goal of every believer. Now, we've got a new goal in our life. Holiness means what? It means set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from sin. Set apart from the world and the ways of the world. There is none of this, I just got saved and now I can live on the edge attitude. That's not real. Hey, that's not real salvation. I got forgiven to God. I'm going to turn it loose now. Now, you may not say that out loud or write it down, but that's what you think in your heart. You may have got something, but it wasn't salvation. Because real salvation is turning from sin and turning to God. Real salvation is a decision with devotion. Being holy as God is holy is our standard. Again, now what that doesn't mean is that we're always going to be able to achieve it. No, it just means when you do sin, you are not free to keep on. And the scripture teaches that when you do sin, you will no longer make a practice of it because you do not belong to yourself any longer. You will always experience a whipping of some sort. You will always experience the discipline of God. Even if you try to turn it off, God's spirit will get on to you because he paid the price for that sin that you're trying to revel in again. No, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. But as we grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ, our lives will be more set apart from sin. And that is why, listen to this, that is why we must test drive the next means of movement that will take us ever closer to the Lord. Can I tell you this as a very practical application? If you keep finding yourself down and wavering and sliding back out again, hey, how about this? Do something different. Do something different. If your car keeps breaking down, if it keeps rattling and knocking, wheels falling off, just keep driving that thing, see how it goes. I mean, we, we would say to other people, I'll tell you what you need to do, you need to do something different. You get yourself something different. That's the idea behind this series. Take next steps to new movement so that you will grow in the gift of God's grace. You'll be able to know its experience and pass it on and teach it to others. Remember from earlier, you're not here today, or if you're here today, it's because you've received God's grace or you need to. And if you have, you've got a new satisfaction and a new standard. And if not, this is the point in time in our service. If everybody would stand to their feet and bow their heads and close their eyes. In a real reverent, holy moment, if you have not received God's gift of grace and today you have finally, finally understood it, clears a bell for the first time in your life, no matter how many times you've told people that you have. If this today is clear and God's Spirit is drawing you not back to a place of faithfulness, but God is drawing you to a decision point, then why don't you decide with devotion today? Even right now, as God's been working on your heart, the quiet of this moment as the music's going to start here in just a second, as people are praying, as people are singing, why don't you right now, as the scripture says, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. Salvation is as simple as belief that Jesus paid the price for your sin. And it's as serious as repentance, as turning from your sin turning to God. In just a moment, we're going to begin to sing a song called Firm Foundation. We're going to begin to sing about how God never will let you down. When you trust in the grace of God, 
you won't have to worry about salvation anymore. For he's covered it. And that was his plan all along. If you've called upon the name of the Lord today, I want to ask you to do one more thing. I want to ask you either to do to, to walk this aisle and to meet one of our pastors here. And all you have to do is say, I called on the Lord to be saved. That's it. Or you can catch us afterwards out in the hallway and say that very same thing. We want to help you take a next step. If today you need to lift your voice and worship, or maybe you need to join the church, that's the next step. Or you need to be baptized, that's the next step. Maybe for the first time in a long time, you need to come and humble yourself at this altar. Just finally take your cares and concerns to the Lord. Let that be your next step. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Sunday mornings. Thank you for instructing us to get together. We thank you for your word. Lord, if it not were not for your character and your extension of your grace, there'd be no reason for us to even be here. We'd still be wondering what you want us to know and how we can know you. So, Lord, in these few moments, may the responses of our heart be true. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Our pastors are here.